Welcome to this special podcast on the political crisis in Kyrgyzstan. My name is Nigel Gul Davis. I'm Senior Fellow for Russia and Eurasia at the International Institute for Strategic Studies. For the second time this autumn, a disputed election in the post-Soviet world has led to major upheaval. In Belarus, most of the population is mobilized in its demand for democratic change. In Kyrgyzstan, events have gone further and the political order has turned upside down. Such precedents may have demonstration effects that affect stability in the wider region. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Ambassador Yidil Baisalov, the ambassador of Kyrgyzstan to the United Kingdom, to discuss these tumultuous events in his country with us. There is no better person to guide us through them. We hope you enjoy this interview with Ambassador Baisalov. If you'd like to hear more in-depth conversations on global political, geostrategic and defense issues, please subscribe to the IISS's podcast series, Sounds Strategic, available on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. There are very few people who have been a civil activist and a political refugee and an ambassador, but Ambassador Baisalov has achieved all this and is still only 43 years old. He took up his post as ambassador in August of 2019, and he has long been a leading activist for the rule of law and democracy in Kyrgyzstan. He first came to international prominence back in 2005, when he played a leading role in the so-called Tulip Revolution of that year that led to the ousting of uh, President Akayev. He then campaigned against crime and corruption under Akayev's successor, President Bakiev, and in 2006 he survived an assassination attempt. Uh, that led him to be forced to leave Kyrgyzstan, uh, where he was uh, set, resettled by the UNHCR in Sweden. He was able to return to his country after Bakiev's ouster in 2010 and subsequently served as a minister in the government. Welcome, Ambassador Baisalov. Uh, thank you very much. Glad to be here. So we will discuss the recent developments in Kyrgyzstan that have led to yet another change in political order there. Uh, these events began after the parliamentary elections, which took place on the 4th of October of this year. This year. Those led uh, from the following day to protests that grew in size against uh, alleged vote buying and fraud. Uh, a state of emergency was then imposed by President Jen Biekov, uh, but that did not halt the, the tide of uh, demands for change, and on the 15th of October, President Jen Bekov resigned, saying that he did not want to go down in the history of Kyrgyzstan as a president who allowed bloodshed and shooting of its people. His successor is the new acting president, Sadir Zhaparov, who, before these events began, was in prison on kidnapping charges. So th those are the bare bones of what has happened now, and uh, we have Ambassador Baisalov to explain them all in more detail. 
So, Ambassador, I'd like to ask you first, uh, what are the underlying causes of this political crisis? Why did this arise apparently so abruptly and lead to such far-reaching change? Well, I'm uh, happy for this opportunity to address the audience of your esteemed uh, institute, uh, not only here in the UK, but uh, probably have this opportunity to, uh, to um, have this uh, to clarify the events because I know that the last uh, uh, two weeks or as uh, some of the international journalists called them the 10 days of turbulence uh, in Kyrgyzstan uh, did indeed come very unexpectedly and abruptly but of course if you, if you try to think about them they are the uh, events in our uh, in a series of events of our you know you mentioned the 2005 uh, ousting of our first president and which was followed again by uh, some uh, unfortunate history under his successor Kurmanbek Bakiev and 2010 we had the new government uh, but over the last decade uh, we had the we had uh, succeeded in building the very state-of-the-art, I'm very proud to say, uh, state-of-the-art elections, electoral system. And uh, as you reminded, I was a democratic activist in my youth and uh, in the late 90s and uh, in the whole decade. I remember uh, how we organized thousands of non-partisan election observers. And we were so powerless when elections would be just falsified. In our face, uh, these uh, precinct election commissions would just uh, rewrite protocols, or we would see uh, multiple voting. Uh, I mean, in the early years, we would uh, see, you know, it was completely acceptable for a head of a large family in uh, some uh, rural uh, Kyrgyzstan just come and throw, you know, five or six passports and receive five or six ballot uh, papers for all of his family. You know, uh, that was normal. But uh, because of uh, a lot of work that was done uh, by the civic activists and, uh, you know, we have a very civil, active civil society, but also by, as a result of this uh, turbulent events of 2005-2010, uh, several last uh, cycles of parliamentary elections and presidential elections have been certified by OSCE as free and fair. So we, ha we are done with uh, this, uh, all of these uh, outright falsifications. You know, we have introduced the system of biometric identification. So one man, one uh, voter, one vote. We, uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of it is uh, technological, but it's a lot of also has changed in the administration of this election. So, uh, what uh, was supposed to be a normal, um, uh, you know, parliamentary election uh, of October 4th, uh, actually, uh, uh, and we were very confident that they are going to be clean. Because there is, again, I would like to emphasize that there are simply no ways of, of them being falsified or uh, miscarried. But what happened was that uh, we had uh, powerful forces and we knew them by name. They amassed a vast fortune of, because of uh, various uh, criminal um, 
you know, abuse of system of customs officials, etc. I mean, like we can go there in more detail. But those people decided that they can buy the votes, and they ran a massive vote buying uh, campaign. And uh, simply, when the results uh, were tabulated, and they can be, they were tabulated within minutes because all of it is electronic. And it was shocking result that uh, two political parties uh, close uh, to these uh, uh, people and the previous uh, administration, they monopolized the parliament with, uh, you know, 91 seats out of 120. And it was a shock. It was a total shock. And, uh, and then, of course, I'm sure for the, you know, for the few people it was a triumph that they felt overnight, you know, that uh, imagine owning 91 seats in the parliamentary system. Uh, and uh, and uh, it was a very disappointing, but uh, it, the next day, uh, the few political parties, uh, first, they declared that they do not agree with that, and they uh, they started their rally at uh, 2 p.m. near the Opera Theater, and then there was a, a parallel rally by some other political parties on the Central Square. And uh, you know, and it, it, in the beginning, it all looked like uh, you know some uh, loser parties. Some you know, uh, they just you know, it's normal for them to feel uh, wronged or you know, uh, express a disagreement or disappointment. But it quickly escalated in a, into a very, very, uh, you know, which it, in a few hours it did look uh, as a, a popular revolution. And these events have, uh, you know, they, they speed up because, uh, first of all, because of Facebook, because of all the live streams, because of all the continuing conversation, because what before would take weeks to build up or to educate or to mobilize, now it takes you know matter of hours, and so in a few hours, this rally, uh, these two rallies, they joined their forces on the central square, and then you know leading cultural figures, uh, leading pop stars, uh, very very po you know popular uh, young uh, men and women, they started coming to the central square and. And uh, and I, it was shocking. I was uh, I, I had been following, and at one point I had to say myself that you know I started saying that this is a revolution. If these people, and especially a few, uh, also very uh, you know youth leaders, they did they would not have a problem picking up cabinet appointments in any subsequent uh, uh, government to be formed, even by those corrupt regimes, because as you know they they will try to co-opt and reward and other things. But when I saw these uh, people, uh, both from politics and so civil society and uh, cultural figures, that they were ready to burn all bridges and, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and call names and criticize, it was clear that this is not going just to melt or just to, to be scrubbed under carpet or anything. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the, the crowds grew larger on that uh, night, Monday night, the next uh, night uh, after the elections. And, um, 
uh, and uh, unfortunately the, uh, the 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 government the head of state they were not flexible enough to address those concerns but around midnight already they were telling that they are ready to consider an, an annulment of the results but it was too late because uh, police tried to disperse and they used the uh, you know tear gas uh, those uh, you know uh, those grenades that make a lot of noise i don't know uh, stun grenades, stun grenades. Uh, you know they had some uh, uh, water cannons, but I, I think, uh, I suspect they did not really know how to use them. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, but, uh, you know, and then when they started, when again, it's all live streamed, uh, we, you know, by several, you know, you can, you could have, you know, dozens, uh, live streams from around that central square in real time, we were seeing pictures and then we also, we all, I saw, I personally saw that, okay, well, it's done. They are dispersed, but no, it continued for several hours. It continued for several hours. And what's important, a lot of people started mobilizing. Actually, more crowds came mm -hmm. to the central square. And, and by around uh, 3, 4 a.m., uh, the, uh, the crowds were just so large. Uh, and some people say that our police just uh, ran out of uh, tear gas. And, uh, and they just... Uh, uh, they, 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 they gathered on the central square. It was a very, very, very large crowd. And it is a tradition when it is angry protesters, probably they would not, they would have continued very peacefully. But because they were attacked and there, because uh, and there were quite a lot of people injured, uh, you know, some of them, not, not too many of them seriously, but unfortunately, tragically, tragically, one 19-year-old uh, boy, he, he died and his actually name was Umut. And Umut is uh, hope in Kyrgyz and you know Turkic languages, and uh, and it did it it it, it, it from that point it became an Umut uh, enclave, a revolution of hope, which is which is dubbed, and the uh, this parliament house was overtaken, uh, but uh, and uh, uh, but what was very very special about these events you could expect this uh, lawlessness disorder and this uh, very very angry young man uh, and woman they would be like overtaking and they could have uh, you know looted uh, you know all this downtown shopping malls etc etc but no not a single other uh, glass uh, door or anything as you know nothing no looting took place they stayed there but they went and demanded the release of political prisoners uh, uh, including our former president including some of the officials and including the uh, men you mentioned uh, they uh, who assumed now the acting presidency mr sadr japarov mm -hmm. okay thank you so you, you paint a very clear picture of a country with a vibrant civil society where there is a, a firm expectation that elections will be conducted fairly. And in fact, very effective technologies, electoral technologies for ensuring that, that voting takes place properly. So a sense of outrage when those expectations are, are disappointed. No. The only way, you know, uh, when you, you cannot do this ballot stuffing, when you cannot do falsification, when you cannot do anything, the only way it remains, of course, is to offer money, is to bribe votes, is to buy votes. 
And, I, and of course, we are a developing country, and especially during this uh, year of hardship uh, of this global pandemic, uh, it was easy for them to, uh, you know, to offer money to all this uh, of our compatriots who could not resist. And them being honest people, uh, you know, still even in the uh, with the secrecy of ballot, they were honest and um, voting the way they wanted. Uh, but uh, it was, of course, absolutely, you know, uh, on par of a, of a uh, takeover, purchase of the state. It was a coup d'etat, and I can tell you that the whole political class did not accept it, and it was a civil society. But also, as the head of state, uh, the, uh, you know, Mr. Sorenbajian Bekov, also, of course, uh, you know, immediately offered concessions, and he said, and the next day, the Central Election Commission. Uh, cancelled the elections, but already because of the of this huge release of this uh, discontent, uh, you know, these revolutionary crowds, uh, the energy was there, and uh, and it would sweep. Uh, it 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 and it swept uh, also the head of state and Mr. Sorombajenbekov had to resign uh, to give way for the new system to evolve. Mm. So these are extraordinary developments. Uh, ten days after elections, the whole political order has been changed. Where are we now? Is this crisis resolved? Can we say that uh, political stability has been restored to Kyrgyzstan? Yes, uh, I think we uh, can take pride in that. Uh, you know that uh, the situation has uh, been. Uh, you know, follow the constitutional lines. Uh, and uh, I don't want to say that the peace and order was uh, restored because it was never much, uh, you know, much, not much was happening outside of the central square. You know, people were still had the baby strolls and the walks and the, uh, all the trading places were open, the government services continued. Uh, people felt secure because uh, what happened was only concerned around the government house and some of the rallies that continued non-stop for a while. Uh, but uh, yes, the peace and order is uh, uh, is uh, there. The most importantly is the constitutional order. Everything the, you know followed the lines. We have the incumbent parliament. Uh, we resisted some of the. Uh, ideas that we need to establish some revolutionary uh, bodies who would assume some, you know, governance. Uh, on behalf, you know, we resisted that from the beginning, uh, and uh, we continue to recognize the uh, legitimacy uh, of the uh, incumbent, the outgoing parliament. They are required to stay on until the new parliament is installed, and. Uh, the uh, process followed the constitution, uh, constitutional lines, and uh, now, uh, according to the constitution, we will be appointing and holding the parliamentary and presidential elections uh, sometime within uh, 90 days. And most probably, it is believed uh, that uh, the two dates will be held on the same day, uh, both uh, elections and, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, it is the process is totally inclusive. Uh, everyone is participating, and not only the parliament, all the political forces, uh, and the civil society. The dialogue is very active, and not only in the face-to-face -face meetings, but as I said, you know, thanks to the modern technologies, the 
uh, you know, to, to all this Facebook and Twitter and uh, uh, YouTube, uh, the uh, discussion is very vibrant and non-stop. And uh, what is very important that even with this uh, situation, uh, the new uh, uh, government and the presidency, they are uh, repeating every day that they are not going to force through the unilateral decisions that they are going to be taking all the uh, they're going to be taking into account uh, the opinion of everyone so that everyone is included okay so next steps are uh, parliamentary elections again because the uh, results of the previous ones were annulled but now also presidential elections as well so uh, the current acting president is uh, Sadir Japarov. He was released from prison uh, in the course of this, uh, this recent turmoil. Can you tell us a little bit more about the acting president? Yes. You know, there were some uh, headlines, international headlines. And, of course, we understand that when the, um, uh, our friends abroad they, uh, hear the news that a convict, a convict for convicted prisoner for kidnapping, he assumed the leadership. Of course, all kinds of pictures uh, can emerge and misunderstandings uh, arise. But I want to assure you that uh, this uh, gentleman is a mainstream politician. He was first elected uh, to parliament in 2005. Uh, uh, and as a young man, they formed uh, a parliamentary group. And that parliamentary group actually played quite an uh, important role in the subsequent events. Uh, and in 2010, actually, they formed the uh, par political party Atajurt, the fatherland, and actually they were victorious in those parliamentary elections in 2010, and uh, they could have formed government uh, already 10 years ago, but because of the... Um, uh, of the uh, different coalitions, and uh, you know, they they were prevented from forming uh, from uh, forming government, uh, and uh, and uh, why so many of them have been now they have this conviction records or arrest records, and now they all look like criminals. It's not because they are criminal, N nowhere close. They are very much uh, politicians. A very big, uh, you know, with, uh, obviously with uh, huge ambitions, but very, very much mainstream and uh, responsible uh, and a statesman. Uh, it, is be it was because of, uh, uh, you mentioned that I was very critical of the previous uh, presidents of Almazbek Atambayev. Uh, you know, during his time, under the slogans and under the, with the pretext of fighting corruption, and with the pretext of uh, the rule of law, so many trumped up charges were brought up against so many uh, political leaders. And they would have been even, even serving members of parliament in violation of our constitutional principle of uh, parliamentary immunity. They would have been easily arrested and charged and uh, uh, what would be at most, uh, you know, like some emotional... Uh, uh, state of uh, something like there was for example a particular kidnapping charge conviction that uh, served to his led to his 11 year uh, sentence prison sentence for uh, uh, Mr. Sadr Japarov was the case when there was this environmental rally 
against a transnational uh, mining corporation in some provincial town. And there, in the heat of uh, this environmental uh, rally, uh, they um, uh, forced the governor, the provincial governor, a provincial governor in a car and kept him there for several hours. And so, uh, and, and Mr. Jatparov was not even there. But because the uh, previous presidency wanted so much Japarov to be excluded from the pol pol politics, he, this uh, case was open to him. And of course, you, know, you, you could classify uh, putting a governor in a car and keeping him there as a terrorism or as uh, some, you know, some, some state crime. But, uh, but assign a responsibility for that for someone who was not there and just, you know, trump up these charges of as if he were following some, you know, some, uh, some very, very anti-state behavior, of course. It was very tragic. And it was actually the story of Mr. Japarov is, uh, is actually that he not only he was imprisoned, he lost his uh, parents. He wasn't allowed to visit those funerals. He was he lost his son, and so this what what will emerge, I believe, in the next few months, uh, as we will see this man uh, more confident on the political stage, is you will see that he's not he's a very complicated figure. He has his own history of uh, beliefs and uh, convictions, uh, and probably he spent the last uh, three and a half years in uh, in the in prison you know how it can change any person but uh, it is very uh, it's huge injustice to call uh, someone who sat in prison because of his political beliefs and actions uh, and say that he's just a convicted uh, kidnapper so you're you're saying in effect that the acting president was previously a a political prisoner that he was put in prison on trumped up charges it is it is a fact it is a fact that uh, uh, it's very hard to argue with and actually i can point you to the uh, statement by the president who put him behind the prison who is himself now uh, serving time and also facing uh, numerous charges himself that he actually said uh, so far as saying that there were so many people who were put behind uh, the bars uh, in, during my term that now I believe they were there uh, unjustly and I was blind. That, those are his words. Some observers have nonetheless expressed concerns about the role of organized crime, including in politics. What can you share with us on that theme? Well, as uh, uh, you mentioned, I have a history of uh, this uh, activism, uh, and uh, especially after, uh, I, I can tell you that uh, this is not the first time this type of, uh, um, uh, not the, you know, the talk of the organized crime in, uh, and, and influence in Kyrgyz politics. Uh, it's not the first time it is being discussed either internally or internationally. But uh, uh, yes, you know, during this uh, upheaval and some short periods of lawlessness, after the collapse of the uh, powers to be, of course, there is this void and vacuum and various groups emerge. Various groups emerge, some of with good intentions, some with bad. Some of the 
uh, you know, uh, in this, this uh, you know, very uh, short periods, uh, it will be, of course, some organized crime figures who will try to play their own role. And there was this uh, period in 2005 and 2006 when we had a, uh, you know, very powerful kingpin uh, uh, by name of Respek Akbatbaev, who also returned um, uh, from... Uh, you know, he was at large and he just came back and then he said that he was a uh, patriot who was uh, wrongfully pursued by this dictatorial regime of our first president. And, 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 uh, and then subsequently he started, of course, uh, threatening people and terrorizing them and uh, doing all sorts of uh, anti-democratic uh, things which we had to protest and organize rallies against and organize and protest uh, that, uh, you know, uh, this uh, organized crime should be uh, playing such a high-profile role. Uh, so we dealt with that previous time, and I believe that the uh, strength of the civil society in Kyrgyzstan and um, yeah, the state institutions, uh, which and especially police and uh, and our security forces, after they will uh, shake, they, uh, uh, you know, they, when the state collapses, uh, one of the biggest consequences is demoralization of law enforcement. You know, for several days after each of these events, uh, our police just doesn't go into the streets. Uh, policemen do not wear uniforms. Uh, and uh, uh, it, it happens every time, we've seen it. Uh, but nowadays, now that we have installed the uh, legitimate uh, f um, structures and there is this continuity of state and all these functions return, organized crime uh, or some petty crime or some other uh, forces, which will probably continue to exist. Uh, which will which will remain a factor probably i'm not here to uh, you know to, i'm not that naive to say that uh, they will not play a role of course they do of course in any state they do in any state they try to penetrate and influence and bribe or intimidate um, and probably they will continue in some capacity uh, in my own country but to say that somehow they will dictate uh, uh, they will to the legitimate uh, state uh, authorities of Kyrgyzstan is so much uh, far from truth and there has been some suspicions and allegations for example about the current uh, people in power but immediately the first uh, statements of both the acting president and of his um, uh, government and appointees in the national security apparatus, they declared uh, th those organized crime kingpins that they are at large, that they are going to be arrested, that these uh, uh, you know, various uh, uh, racketeering schemes and other, uh, you know, they will be put an end and uh, businesses and law-abiding citizens will be under protection of the state. Okay. So uh, Kyrgyzstan is the most democratic country in Central Asia, but uh, governments there do not change only as a consequence of elections. They have changed now three times as a consequence of demonstrations and protests. First in 2005, then in 2010, and now just this past week. So why 
does Kyrgyzstan seem so prone to such upheavals? And is there any guarantee this won't happen again? Well, you know, uh, there are literally books written about, uh, you know, to answer your questions. Uh, but uh, how I feel about it is, uh, you know, you can go back a century ago and, uh, you know, even then the Western travelers, uh, some Englishmen who traveled to our parts of the world, uh, the Russian explorers, uh, they, they all noted that the Kyrgyz people, uh, they, they, they had their own character. Uh, you know, us being uh, nomadic people, uh, we did not enjoy or strive for some material abundance. But what was important for us was that, uh, you know, some sense of justice and some sense of control uh, of the way of the situation. You know, we did not believe in hierarchical societies or we did not have those systems. Uh, you know, every horseman uh, was a, was a, was a, uh, quite a uh, man of his own opinion and, uh, uh, and other things. But so it is in the national character, it is in our national character, and I t say it with our pride, with pride uh, for our youth, that once again showed that they will not take uh, this uh, type of uh, uh, corrupt or uh, corruption or injustice, and especially uh, you know purchase of our, of our state and domination by some uh, illegitimate um, uh, and wrong uh, forces. You know, I I believe that uh, our people are uh, law-abiding and they want to build a system, uh, the government, uh, the, the system of governance that belongs and shared by everybody. But when uh, at, at, at huge costs, at huge costs to our development, there's no question about it. Both 2005 and 2010, uh, they, uh, they brought about, of course, uh, huge loss of our, you know, unearned, uh, you know, those revenues that could have been there. Uh, but these costs are accepted by our people precisely because we believe there are some things more important than uh, just economic uh, well-being and uh, you know there's this this sense of justice so uh, we have to view these events as a, as a, as a, as continuation of this uh, uh, series of events and i think this is as a very young country we are continuing to build our nation and uh, uh, sometimes we do look probably like a failed state and there will be there uh, there was a stream of those kind of expertise coming from some of our neighboring countries uh, some from afar who tried to you know somehow uh, sign us off as a as a as a failure but no i think uh, as a consequence of this type of events which again i tell you just took 10 days to resolve uh, we will, uh, with pride, hold parliamentary and presidential elections. We will hold, um, we will form uh, bodies of governance which will be responsible and accountable to our own people. And uh, this time, again, we hope that it will work. We hope, it, it, and there is no guarantee that it's going to work by itself. We, it will con take continuous involvement by our civil society. But as I told you, this is revolution of hope.
This is how we know and how we want to celebrate. I'd like to finish by asking you about your own role during this crisis. Now, a lot of ambassadors would be tempted to keep a very low profile uh, and be uh, publicly very quiet when their country is undergoing fundamental political change. But this is not the role that you chose during this 10 days. You have been very publicly active uh, explaining and commenting on what has been taking place. Could you share with us how you conceived of your ambassadorial role at a time when Kyrgyzstan was in such uncertainty and upheaval? Well, uh, Mr. Gold Davis, you are yourself an ambassador. Uh, you were Her Majesty's ambassador in Belarus, so I'm not the one to lecture you uh, on how ambassadors uh, are to behave, but of course, for me, it was very, very complicated that um, uh, because, uh, of course, first and foremost, I'm an activist. I'm a politician. I am a, uh, I have a huge stakes, uh, personal stakes. But uh, to be an ambassador, of course, you know, uh, I have to tell you, of, I had to moderate my um, public uh, posture and uh, explanation, but I, uh, I, I could not just uh, stay silent. And uh, I tried to explain to the world that this is not the end of the state of Kyrgyzstan, that uh, some of the headlines and some of the uh, you know, press uh, uh, descriptions that you know, somehow uh, pictured the place as a you know, havoc and uh, uh, you know, chaos and uh, all the disintegration of state. But whereas in reality, it only took place in the central square. You know, it did not affect the next street. And there were pictures, even when uh, there was this, you know, very loud news of uh, military units entering the, uh, the, uh, our capital, Bishkek. You know, there were so many pictures of children playing on those tanks not tanks on these militarized, uh, you know, vehicles, you know. So it was all very peaceful and, uh, and, um, and our people actually, uh, you know, were, while there were moments of fear, it could all disintegrate. We, it could all spiral down to violence and against all, and, uh, you know, situation all against all. Uh, we were quite uh, close to that and we, we were very much worried, but thankfully, because of the responsibility of our political class, uh, we avoided that situation. So I felt responsible uh, actually as a diplomat, as an ambassador, uh, to, to tell the story of my people to the world uh, community. And especially, uh, I think I came to appreciate importance of this post, uh, post in London. You know, some other of my colleagues, of course, in other capitals, they can, uh, you know, uh, they, they kept a low profile because there wasn't much to explain to, or actually even the audience itself, those, in those situations in some of the European capitals, they did not even notice what was happening in Bishkek. But because of the concentration of the uh, world press in London, of the importance of analytical institutions like uh, this uh, institute, uh, because of the character, importance, and uh, the scale, and the influence of, uh, of your work and output, I had to engage um, 
the editors uh, here in the media, the analysts, uh, you know, uh, quite important uh, figures, uh, uh, you know, across the ocean and others to explain the situation. And uh, the 10 days, uh, it did pass. I, uh, there is nothing uh, that I'm going to say that it's uh, over. Of course, this will continue. There, were, there will be a few episodes. But what is important that we have the, uh, you know, the constitutional process. We ensured the security and peace of our people. And we are on track to, uh, to hold the uh, democratic elections, that, uh, as I said, that have been certified as free and fair, very difficult to falsify. Uh, I'm sure there will be some attempts to vote by w vote buying in the you know next elections, but nothing of the massive monopolization uh, that uh, was um, attempted uh, and could have been described as a coup d'état. It what happened? Uh, this revolution of hope is not a coup d'état uh, 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 by itself. It's actually prevention, a popular uprising to prevent and undo. Uh, the uh, takeover of government uh, attempt by some criminal structures. Well, let's hope lessons have been learned and that the same mistakes will not be repeated and we'll have peaceful and orderly and honest elections and stable government in the future. Uh, I've met many ambassadors in my time, but I don't think I've met one as original, as interesting as you. So, Edil Baisalov, activist ambassador, thank you very much for coming to the IISS today to share your views with us. We hope you have enjoyed this interview with Ambassador Baisalov. If you'd like to hear more in-depth conversations on all of these issues, please subscribe to the IISS's podcast series, Sound Strategic, available on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. <laughs>